that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. So Ben, for your listeners, here's a million dollar question. Which ones? Imagine the relationships you have with the people closest to you could be 10% more impactful. That's better time spent together. That's better opportunities personally and professionally. But having a great group of relationships is one thing and investing in that relationship is another. What exactly does that investment look like? Well, today we're going to be learning from the story of a relationship expert who's going to clearly show you how to close the gap between building good relationships today and building great ones tomorrow. Welcome to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode 14 of season two. I'm your host as always, Ben Bradbury. And for the next half an hour or so, we're going to be diving into a mental model to help you understand the world that little bit better. A mental model, quite simply, if you haven't joined us before, is sharpening your mental toolbox so you can make better decisions when it counts. Now, last episode, we learned about a concept called relationship squared, which is quite simply your relationship with your relationships. And this is when we take a step back and examine how we're showing up to the people we care most about. The fact is, with relationship squared, if we make a small change in how we approach our relationships over the span of years and decades, that can have a huge impact. Now today, we're going to add several new dimensions to Relationship Squared. You're going to learn the hidden power of being highly specific with your asks of your relationships. You'll learn why the longest way round with relationships is sometimes the shortest way to success. And finally, you'll get a specific set of practical strategies that you can implement today to take the relationships you have to reach the relationships that you need. But before we get there, it's time to introduce today's guest. David Knorr is a subject matter expert on how relationships can create sustainable innovation, profitable growth, and lasting change. Born in Iran, Knorr immigrated to the US as a teenager with just $100 in his pocket and no fluency in English. Today, as the author of 10 books, Knorr serves as a trusted board advisor and coaches corporate leaders on how to use relationships better. He is an adjunct professor at Emory University's Goizueta Business School and at Vanderbilt University's Owen School of Management. Nor was named one of Global Guru's top 30 leadership professionals and is one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 global coaches. He is a Forbes leadership contributor on the future of work, and his insights have been featured in Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Fast Company, Huffington Post Business, Entrepreneur, and knowledge at Wharton. Not bad then. Now, when I spoke to Noor, I was immediately struck by how much he cared for his relationships. And naturally, I was curious where this care came from. And there's a story from his time as a young boy before becoming an immigrant to the US that shows the origins of his relationship philosophy. I was born in Iran, a city called Hamadan is about 200 miles southwest of Tehran. I have 42 first cousins, <laughs> so a rather, a rather large, yeah, mom's side is like eight kids, dad's side was like six, seven kids. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of, lot of family, a lot of cousins, most of them, 36 of them are still back in Iran. Um, there are, you know, several here in the US, several in Europe. We actually used to live in Kuwait. 
you know, the old Shah had an exchange program. Parents went there to teach Persian literature, Persian history. When the revolution happened, my parents had the force. I was a teenager. They had a foresight to realize there may not be a whole lot of future for me back in Iran. So I came to the U.S. Uh, May 23rd, 1981 with a suitcase, a hundred bucks. Ben didn't know anybody and didn't speak a word of English. What I do recall, and I wrote this in the Relationship Economics book, is I distinctly remember, I think I was five or six years old, my dad walking me through bazaars of Iran on our Friday errands. And he didn't have just a list from mom of you know, what we needed to pick up, she wanted to cook, or you know, projects we had to do around the house. Dad also had a mental, often, a relationship list. And I certainly didn't get it then, but I get it now. He was connecting the dots between the relationships he had and the relationships we needed, whether it was a plumber at the house that day or access to a local politician, dad connected the dots. And I learned early on this in, through bazaars of Iran, this incredible value of relationships. So Noor saw from a very young age, the strength of being intentional with your relationships. Indeed, wandering through the bazaars of Iran, he saw his dad connecting the dots between the relationships he had and the relationships that he needed too. And this is a key principle that we're going to come back to, connecting the dots on our relationships. But for now, just remember that it is so much easier to invest in a relationship that we have already built than trying to build a new one from scratch. So how did Noor apply his dad's teaching later on in life? I was working at a company called Silicon Graphics, and SGI used to sell very high-end computers, and I was living in Orlando, Florida, and Disney, the Walt Disney World Company, was one of my clients. And before I got that account, before I moved down there, I think SGI had sold you know, 700K to two departments. And I quickly figured out that being remote wasn't going to help me, so I would commute 60 miles roughly 100 kilometers to Disney each way, every day. And I leveraged some existing relationships to get myself a badge, an ID, and a car pass, and an office down on the Disney property. And every day I would go down there. And on one of the walls of my office, I'm dating myself. Uh, We only had yellow post-it notes back then, and there were only one color, just yellow and one size. I started to, and, and we had directories, almost like imagine a phone book of a company directory. And I said, I've got to find a way to get to know this account better. So I, I got a hold of one of those directories. I, I tore it apart and start to identify divisions and departments and department heads. And you and your audience are going to chuckle using uh, strings and tape, start to connect the dots between the relationships I had and the relationships I needed. Make a long story short, within a couple of years, we were able to sell several million dollars to 24 departments across 11 business units. And I quickly figured out the power of building value with relationships you have, the existing relationship bank, to connect with the relationships you need, pivotal contacts, to accelerate your ability to get there. Now, there are two key terms to break down from the story that Noor has just shared. The first is your relationship bank. These are your existing contacts. 
And this is why Nor commuted 60 miles just to be closer to the relationships he already had that were most important to him. Nor's philosophy was invest in them first, and they will help you get to the relationships that you need. And that second key term, that's the relationships you need. These are your pivotal contacts, the people that you are trying to reach. And when Nor had this web of post-it notes on his wall trying to document all these relationships with strings and tape, he wasn't just trying to reach out to the pivotal contacts straight away. He was connecting the dots. He was managing the relationships he had to the relationships that he needed. And so today, we can think of this concept as a chain to trade up. We want to trade up the chain in our relationships, taking the people that we already know, investing in them, helping them, so that we can trade up the chain to reach the people that we need to find on the other end. So how exactly does Nor invest in his relationship bank? I am calling them on a regular basis. I am sending them something on a regular basis. I'm making introductions to other highly valuable relationships. I'm inviting them when we used to have events. I'm inviting them to the events. I want you to think about a pivotal contact that you're trying to reach right now. This could be a mentor or perhaps a thought leader that you really admire. And rather than reaching out to that person directly, what you can do now is invest in your existing relationship bank first. If someone you know knows that mentor, that thought leader, that pivotal contact you're trying to reach, then invest in them first. Figure out how you can help them achieve their goals so that you can achieve yours as a consequence. If you do enough help for someone else, after enough time, they're going to want to return the favor. So help yourself by helping others first. But let's be real. Sometimes we can't connect the dots. What if you can't leverage an existing relationship to find the person that you need? You have to create what I call relationship gravity or relationship pull, right? Market gravity or market pull. And Ben, the analogy I often use is, have you ever tried pushing a rope? Well, it doesn't work, right? But I can always pull on a rope. So can I put an article out there? Can I share something? Can I co-create something of particular value that pivotal contact that I need would find a value and I would instill the sense of curiosity in them in, I don't know who the hell this Nor guy is, but I'm intrigued by his or her lens. If you can't connect with someone through your relationship bank, then connect with the way that they think. What we want to do here is create specific assets that appeal to their values that can spark a conversation. And for an in-depth guide of exactly how to create content that appeals and aligns with people's values, you can check out System of Stories, which is a three-part essay I published on benbradbury.com, and you want to go to part two. So let's do a practical breakdown. Let's say I'm trying to get a role in the biotechnology industry. It's the difference. This is the difference between writing an article that says, here's some of the general news that's been happening in the biotech space versus here's an analysis of three companies and the way that they have changed engaging with consumers post COVID-19. And by the way, all three firms are ones that I want to engage with. The first piece of content, well, it's just that. It's general content that's kind of throwing ideas vaguely out there. But the second kind of content is specific. It targets companies and it gives the people who work there a reason 
to engage. And just as Noor is teaching us to be intentional with our relationships, he's also teaching us to be intentional with our ideas. Now, you can't create this idea of relationship gravity without a goal. But likewise, you can't create connections in the first place either. If you think about networking, number one, it's one letter away from not working. <laughs> number two, a lot of people confuse busy work and activity with progress. So I wrote in Relationship Economics, the whole first chapter is the top 10 reasons most networking doesn't work. And it's fundamentally because there's no purpose, there are no goals, and there's no plan. So if you think about it, networking doesn't make sense by itself. It's not a standalone concept. Nobody networks because they're bored. So if you're crystal clear on your purpose, why are you networking? Why do you want to meet more people? I want to get very specific on identifying these 10 companies where my skill sets, my experience, my expertise would be a viable fit in this capacity. And then you have a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. What we call strategic relationship planning. That's when we've seen definitive results, not just from the activity, but from the outcome. And I often coach people, don't confuse vibration with forward motion. Lunches and coffees and calls and now web meetings are all great toward what outcome? So let's combine this soft, nebulous thing that we understand is important, relationships, with something a little more tangible, economics, economic value add, metrics, milestones, the right relationships to invest in to get the outcomes we're after. To build relationships, you'd need a goal. As Noor says, no one networks because they're bored. And so if you're thinking about building relationships, take the time to ask yourself, why? Why do I want to meet this person? Get that definition crystal clear in your head and on a piece of paper before you start reaching out to people. Web meetings and calls might feel good, but unless there's a specific purpose backing them up, then frankly, you're probably wasting your time. Remember, it's impossible to score without a goal. Global brands spend millions of dollars packaging, protecting, marketing, selling, defending this nebulous thing that I can't touch or feel, but we all know is incredibly valuable, which is a brand. Well, I subscribe to the Tom Peters notion that there's such a thing called this brand called you. And when it comes to our relationships, you're exactly right. How your brand is perceived by the consumers of that brand by people that get value from you being in a relationship with them is far more valuable than how you think of yourself. Now, once we have our relationship goal set in stone, it's time to think about our second important consideration, which is how we manage our perception. Now, Noor's idea of perception links to the power dynamics segment from last episode, and that is that power is entirely perceived. It's in our heads. And likewise, the perception of our brands well, that's in the eye of the relationship. It's not ours to control. We don't get to decide what our brand means to our relationships, but we do get to decide what that initial impression that we give them is going to be. So managing our perception matters immensely. And as a cautionary tale, what happens when we're not intentional about managing our brand's perception? The reason people don't return your calls and emails is because you're not perceived to be relevant. 
Why is he or she calling me? What does he or she want with me? So you have to work really hard to create that relevance, right? I help PL leaders drive profitable growth. I help PL leaders build a culture of innovation. I help PL leaders create lasting change. If you don't speak in the language of the consumers of your relationships, you're not giving them a reason to see you as relevant. If you want to become more relevant in the eyes of a key relationship, speak in the language that they use. The ultimate goal is to be able to step into their shoes and have them feel like you understand them. Now, an exercise that I do with my clients when we're trying to create content that resonates is to establish their tone of voice keywords. So how do you do this? Well, the first step is to familiarize yourself with the way that your relationship communicates. So you want to read their articles, watch their speeches, go into their interviews, absorb their social feeds, so you have a really solid idea of their style of communication. Next, create a list of keywords associated with the way the key relationship speaks. So for example, I want you to imagine someone who is direct, practical, and assertive on one side versus someone else who is warm, caring, and supportive on the other. Direct, practical, and assertive versus warm, caring, and supportive, you can immediately see that these two people from their tone of voice keywords bring very different styles of communication to the party. Then before you send any communication to your key contact, sink back into their style of communication by refreshing yourself on their tone of voice keywords. By honing in on your prospect's language, you're going to make them feel more comfortable and more connected to you. By now, I hope you can see the importance of treating relationships seriously. Now, it's time to get tactical. I asked Noor, when you've identified an opportunity and you want a relationship to support you, what is the first step you take with your relationship bank? Well, he instantly replied, create a one-pager. A one-pager allows you to condense down exactly all the key information you need and present that to your relationship bank and say, hey, here's the opportunity and here's where I need help. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this next segment because Noor's about to break down exactly step-by-step exactly what you need to put on that one-pager should you want to use this strategy yourself. I'm a huge fan of one-pagers. That describes, you know, by the way, there's your picture because we're a visual society. Here's my contact info. By the way, your LinkedIn profile is there because that's inevitably where everybody's going to go to begin with. And people, by the way, are browsers, not readers. So I like bullet points more than I like paragraphs. Bullet points of key strengths I bring. Ideally, you've done your due diligence. You've done your homework. Here's either a list of roles I'm after or here are target companies that I'd like to learn more about. Now, Ben, I'm a big believer of language is incredibly powerful. Stop telling people that I'm just looking for any job. Well, I know a garbage collector role and a street sweeper. Is that good for you as an executive? So you're making assumptions that people know you or know what they're looking for, or in a very lazy manner, you're asking them for help without giving them some guidance on how to help you. Now, some of you might have picked up on the linking theme that's going on here. And just like being intentional with our content and investing in our relationships, it's specificity. The one pager makes us highly specific about exactly what we want to share and the kind of opportunities 
that we are going after. And the goal here is to leave no room for misinterpretation for our relationship banks so they can clearly see, yep, that's exactly the opportunity that Ben's going for, and here's how I can help him. Now, let's return to the idea of building new relationships. When you're trying to meet that new person and you bag that meeting successfully, I'm talking pre-COVID-19 and hopefully post-COVID when we can leave our houses, by the way, you want to try and meet them in a business setting, right? If they're a business mentor, you go to their office or you meet them, they come to your office, you keep it business, right? Not so fast, nor actually has an alternative approach in the way that he broaches the relationships he has and pulls them out of their native environment. We often are very myopic in our creativity. By that, I mean, if I'm an accountant, I want to just talk about accounting and I feel comfortable and confident in that sandbox. So let me try to write something and talk about accounting, some accounting, or if I'm an attorney, some legal jargon, legal terminology. I actually look at other potential avenues to engage that person. And Ben, one of the ways I do that is in our conversation, I think we talked about this, I ride motorcycles. So, and this is a recent phenomenon. So in the last 10 years, I didn't grow up with motorcycles. My parents are retired, you know, college professors. And so I ride motorcycles and I now have 22 executives. Most of them have come from other referrals that we go on regular rides. And just like golf or just like other things that people do, when you go outside of your domain and you spend time with people, it's a phenomenal opportunity to get to know them and really give them a chance to get to know you. And at some point, they're going to ask, what do you do again? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I do. You know, let me send you some information. I would love to you know, grab a cup of coffee and give us a chance to get to know each other better. Now, the key insight here is that spending time outside of your profession actually lowers the barrier to entry to building a new relationship. And it might sound counterintuitive, but if you stay in that same business setting, for example, you're going to stay stuck on that bubble of business ideas and you won't be able to progress the conversation on as easily as you could if you'd taken that context outside. And listen to the language that Noor shared. He said, this is a phenomenal opportunity to get to know them. That's it. He's just getting to know them, the person behind the profession. He's not pitching them, selling them anything. He's getting to know the person. And when he's taking his clients or these people rather on motorbike rides, it's more informal. There's less pressure. It just deflates any kind of tension. And what Nora's is getting at here is a gradual way to build the relationship. And relationships, as you should know by now, are a long game. The author of June, Frank Herbert, once wrote, a beginning is a very delicate time, and relationships are no exception to that rule. For our final segment today, we're going to look at the good and bad way to spark a new relationship by connecting two people with an introduction. You don't ever want to just toss an introduction over the wall. What I often used to do, again, when we used to meet in person, is say, Ben, I want you to meet Steve. When are the two of you available for coffee? And I would actually take time out of my busy schedule to go meet them and meet the two of them because A, I want to do it in person. B, I want to see how Ben introduces himself and his unique value in positioning executives and storytelling and right all that Ben does phenomenally well. And 
I want to hear what Steve does and how Steve positions himself. More importantly, I want to better understand each of them through their interactions. And one of the challenges with introductions is we just toss it over a wall or an email. Hey, Ben, meet Steve. You guys would like each other. Thanks. See ya. And I would submit that you're not going far enough in that introduction because you're not learning. Was it relevant? Was it valuable? What can I do more or less of next time? What, if anything, will come from this introduction? How can I continue to deepen my relationship with each of these folks? And Ben, when it comes to relationship, if it's worth doing, I'm a big believer of do it well and get in the follow through business, which is a process, not follow up, which is a transaction. So let's break that down then. First, do these parties want to be introduced? It's got to be a double opt-in intro. Both of the parties have to want the introduction. And what you'll notice Nora is doing here is over-investing in the short term to set up long-term success. It's doing things that don't scale. And this might appear unnecessary at a glance, but by taking the time to be on that introductory call, Nor is ensuring that the relationships, the meeting, gets off to a strong start. We want to get into the habit of following through and not the transaction of following up. This is handholding. It's guiding our relationships to the best possible conclusion. If you just introduce two people, I'd bet my bottom dollar that you hope that they get on. You hope that it works because if it works, it strengthens the glue of connection that holds your relationship web together. And so by taking the time to overinvest in the short term, we can ensure that the long term looks as bright as possible. So let's review what we've learned here today. First of all, is that we can connect the dots between the relationships we have and the relationships that we need. Nor learned this wandering the bazaars of Iran with his dad, how he was intentional about showing up for those relationships. And it applies to his business success today. Likewise, we don't need to jump straight to the relationship out of reach, trade up the chain by investing in our existing relationship bank first and we can help ourselves by helping them. Second big idea is to be specific. Know why you are networking. Hone in on the language that your target audience uses and be intentional about the ideas that you're sharing to create relationship gravity. The difference between building new relationships and falling short is often being able to articulate what you want. And the third big idea is to build relationships by doing things that don't scale. Build a connection outside of your regular domain. Don't keep it in the bubble that you both exist in. Take the time to follow through on your introduction rather than just the transaction of following up. And it might seem counterintuitive, but by investing upfront in the time that we need to spark the relationship right, it could pay off years down the road. It starts with you, and it starts with you shedding some of your past skills and knowledge and behaviors, shedding some of your past relationships that are no longer relevant, so you can make room for new ones. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of Subject Matter. If you want to stay up to date with this season and season three, which is right around the corner, you can subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content to stay up to date. To keep up with Noor's idea, you can check out his website, norgroup.com, that's N-O-U-R group.com,
for his daily blog and the Curve Benders podcast alongside his leadership column for Forbes. Now, our big focus for this season of subject matter is making it as relevant and practically useful as possible. And especially with our foray into video now, if you have any feedback on the video, the audio, the content, the questions, the answers that we provided in this episode, I would love to hear them. You can leave a comment down below on YouTube, or you can reach me directly on Twitter at BenBradbury underscore. So without further ado, thank you for tuning into this episode of Subject Matter, and we'll see you next week.